y'all. My name is John Devine, and I am the host of the Healthy Wealthy People podcast, the show that educates on the three most important pillars of becoming a strong individual, our health, our wealth, and our authentic expression of self. Before we get started, I would like to personally thank you, yes, you, for investing your time with me today. And I ask that if you do find value in today's episode, that you do us both a favor and subscribe. All right, let's jump into it, y'all. Yo, what up, y'all? It's your boy, John Devine, welcoming you back to episode 28 now of the Healthy Wealthy People podcast. This is actually episode one of season two. We are in our second year of recording, hard to believe. So for episode one of season two, I brought in my dear friend, Loon Axelson. 30-year yogi to talk about something we have both recently gone through, which is overcoming sports injury. And I know a lot of you uh, are in the same boat that we were in, um, and some of you think that this is your new life, and hopefully what we can do in today's show is shine a little bit of light on the fact that this is not your new life. You can get right back to what you used to be doing. It's just going to take some belief some consistent effort, uh, and we're going to try and provide some tools to you to get through that. So, Loon, say hello. Hey, how's it going, John? I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, we were supposed to have you in here a little while ago, and then life got busy, and then there was an injury and yep. recovery, and so I'm glad we finally got you in. Yeah, I think the timing is better. Uh, I'm starting to believe in divine timing. Yeah. <laughs> Little plug there. There we go. <laughs> uh, so let's just talk a little bit, number one, about you. So you've been in yoga practice for at least 30 years. Yes. Yep. My dad was a yogi. I mean, he wasn't uh, like people think, well, was he a hippie or something? I'm like, no, 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 no. He was a pipeline engineer that traveled the world, but he was always seeking um, how to live his life better. He was seeking enlightenment. And he found yoga and he practiced it and he'd come home from, you know, these long trips uh, around the world and he would get up at like 4 a.m. and practice yoga. And I would always catch him at the end of his practice. And it was like a traditional finish finishing sequence, like an Ashtanga finishing sequence where you would catch the end, which is really quite impressive for, you know, like a 13 year old kid to see your dad, like, you know, balancing on his head um, and headstand for, you know, five minutes or meditating in Lotus and you would be like, what are you doing, dad? And out of the four kids he had, I was the only one who was interested. And mm -hmm. so he sent me books on yoga and I did them. I ate them up. I did every single one. In fact, the first book he sent me was Richard Hittleman's 28 day guide to yoga. I did it. And that was the start of my love of yoga. When was that? That's when I was 13. Yeah. Okay. So first book I had first experience with yoga. I, I do like that little book, by the way. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it opened up literally a whole lifetime of yep. practice for you. Yeah, it did. Okay. It's led me here to this day. And so you're 13, you start practicing yoga. At what point do you decide, I want to get certified? 
So I pra- I practiced yoga my entire life after that. I mean, it was just like part of my life. Wasn't a- I mean, I am an athlete, and if anybody knows who I am, I do all kinds of uh, adrenaline pumping sports. <laughs> but I did not fit into PE as a kid. Same. Yeah, and it, it just it was like a one size fits all, and I didn't fit that. So I found yoga, and it was the one thing that taught me, wow, um, I can do this for me in my way and explore it in my way. And so I just did it all the time. Like it was my favorite thing. So I could spend hours just like, you know, trying some sort of contortion move yep. <laughs> and being, you know, and, and reaping the benefits. Also, tons of meditation. When I was like 13, um, I my dad gave me this book, a Hindu book on, on chakras and meditation, I would go through each lesson and just like meditate and get into these really amazing states. Um, so it's just always been a part of my life. And uh, I think it was meant to come to me. And I think I was led to share it with others. It's a passion of mine. Yeah, I love that. It's shockingly similar to my journey, only mine was martial arts, not yoga. Same thing. I could literally spend days on one kick, right? Trying to get some jump spinning kick and with ADHD and hyper focus, I could hyper focus on this one kick. I didn't have to do the 12 push ups and then go run the mile and then whatever dumb PE shit you had to do. And I felt like I was getting a real life skill. I could learn how to defend myself and tons and tons and tons of meditation in martial arts. So interesting. So how old were you then when you were like, I want to do this for the purpose of teaching others? Well, I was a young mom, so I spent a lot of my um, 20s raising young children. And it wasn't until my 30s that I um, left a relationship behind that was not serving me. Um, Even though I practiced yoga the whole time, after that, I was inspired to take the teacher trainings and then start teaching others. So it was later in life when I started teaching others, but I've been teaching for quite a while now. Okay. Uh, and with that, you've gone through over 200 hours of yoga certification. Yes. What did, what goes into that? Well, you just, uh, you go and you learn, um, the asana. Well, actually there's eight limbs of yoga, at least in the yoga that I practice. There's all different types of yoga. Um, but I, I do more of a hatha based yoga. Um, and there's eight limbs to it, which, um, there's, um, personal practices that it's, it's very similar to martial arts. Like you said, you have your, um, yamas and niyamas, which are your like self care stuff that you do. Like it's part of your lifestyle. It's not just asana. Asana is the third limb of yoga, which is the physical practice, but you do things like, you know, ahimsa, you practice ahimsa, which is nonviolence to the self and others, you know, uh, Socha, um, I think I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but basically cleanliness of the self and your space, you know, not stealing from others, those kinds of practices. Um, those are the first limbs of yoga. And then you have your asana, the third limb. And then the fourth limb is breath, pranayama. So breath is life. Prana actually means life, you know? So, um, then we have, uh, meditation and focus and inward turn are the other limbs. And then the final limb is um, samadhi, which is bliss. So, and that's like what we hope we achieve over a lifetime. We may not achieve samadhi, but that's what we work for. We get little glimpses through our practice. So So those, um, I'm not sure where I was going with that, but 
that's oh, that's yoga certification process. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. So we study those those things, um, and we learn how to um, teach others safely. And we learn about anatomy. We learn about um, other things that like uh, well, the chakra system or Ayurveda, which is the Hindu practice or the Indian practice um, of medicine. We we touch on that because all that sort of combined because you know yoga is is an Indian based yep. practice. It's not a religion, but so we 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 study some of those things and some of the mythology that goes behind it. Yep. Okay. And I'm assuming for you, going through these certification hours was not mainly for the purpose of education of others. It was just purely for yourself. Yeah, actually, it was. It was yeah. for myself. I wanted to take it to the next level. And there's there's plenty more studying that could happen. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lifetime mm-hmm. practice. Yeah, those are my favorite instructors, much like myself. Like, you just do it for you, and eventually you end up like, oh, I definitely know enough where I can teach other people about this. Yeah. Yeah. I can at least share my experience. And that's that's one of the things that a teacher told me is um, practice. Mm-hmm. Do your own practice and then you can teach others because you won't know it unless you actually live it. Mm-hmm. So I definitely live the yoga. And from the personal training world, the example I like most about this is the overweight personal trainer, right? Because it's one of the only areas where you can actually see the lack of practice, yep. right? Like if you were a mathematician or, you know, if you were a scientist or a doctor or what it like, I can't really see your level of practice. Like I might be able to see your like degree on the wall, right? but what is it? Did you keep studying after you went to college? Right. How, how many things, like I can't see it in the personal training world. I can see if you're actually doing what, you're telling others to do. And to me, that's the number one trait of leader, teacher, whatever is like, are you on the path? Are you on the journey? And are you further ahead of me? If you are, then yeah, you can teach me and take me with you, um, at least up to what you know and what you've done, which is the only purpose of the teacher, right? Get somebody on the path and let them go on their own. But the best teachers in my experience, they're just deep on their own path. And you happen to be like, oh, yeah, I can show you some things. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and as we know, as um, teachers, we're also students. The best but, students. Yes. And and if, if you have a teacher that isn't a good student, then you might want to find another teacher. <laughs> That's what I love about teaching, whether it's finance or uh, martial arts or personal training or whatever, is like while I'm teaching somebody else, I learned so much by like, oh, you got it. And then I'm like, oh, wait, if you actually did it a little more this way, and it gives me this outside of the box opportunity to teach someone what I know, but then through teaching them, I learn more about that subject. So yeah, I love teaching for the purpose of selfishly, I'm going to learn more by getting outside of the box to teach you than I am by inside of the box trying to learn. Absolutely. So very, very, very experienced yogi. Well, thank you. We have sitting here. (laughs) And she mentioned in there, anyone who knows me knows that adrenaline junkie, always moving. So she does aerial acrobatics. Yes. She does rock climbing, like extreme rock climbing, uh, snowboarding, 
yoga, yep. weightlifting. Yep. What else do you do? I mean, I might ride a mountain bike now and again. Okay. <laughs> it's not it's not my favorite, but I do do it. Mountain biking? Yeah. So a extreme athlete, right? This yeah. isn't somebody who like goes to get on the elliptical for 20 minutes and then goes home. Like no. this is somebody who's constantly moving their body, whether they're at home, mowing your lawn, like yes. just always, <laughs> right. always going and doing something. And then you've had multiple injuries. The ones that we talked about to get into the show is a right leg torn meniscus and a left leg torn ACL. And a right leg torn ACL. And a right leg torn ACL. Yes. Do we have any other major injuries that have happened? Um, or are those the big ones? Those are the big ones for me. I mean, I've had other... Yeah, nothing nothing that required surgery. Okay. Yeah. And then the at least left ACL was snowboarding. Yeah, both ACLs were snowboarding. That makes sense. Yes. Okay. And then the right meniscus was climbing. Yes. <laughs> In what period of time did these three tears happen? Was it over a year, four years, five years? It was, uh, well, so early in my career of snowboarding, we'll say, um, I tore my ACL on my left knee. Um, didn't know at the time, you know, you do stuff when you're young and you're like, huh, that feels weird. <laughs> yeah. I'll just yeah. keep going. Yep. So I went like that for a long time and, and, and I, in this feeling of, your knee popping out of place, you'd just be like, oh, okay, it's back. Here, let's keep going. So that happened, and then, um, like, I must have partially torn it. And then snowboarding, I blew it out and couldn't ride out of it. had to be taken down in the old uh, ride of shame. How long ago was that? That was, like, God, like 15 years ago. Oh, okay. The first one. Okay. And then, so I rehabbed that one, and it was, like, miserable. I hated it. Um, and then, like, right when I finally, like, I think a year and a half later... I tear the other one, snowboarding again. And I'm like, why is this happening? What's going on? And I realize I'm hypermobile because I'm a yogi. Yeah. And I'm not training for Stability. strength. Yep. Yes. So it was a partial tear. I talked to my surgeon and my PT and they're like, yeah, you can, you can train. You still have some strands left. You just have to, you just, yeah, <laughs> there's still something in there, but you really have to do leg day like consistently. And I heard that and I did it. So, and then I became hooked on. Lifting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned the value of strength and flexibility mm -hmm. because there it's a constant push pull. Yep. And you got to have both or you create injuries. So I, that launched me into my lifting career, which was like, you know, probably 12 years ago. And then uh, the, I think the ACL lasted a good, you know, the partially torn ACL like that lasted about 10 years. And then snowboarding again. <laughs> I'm out there. It's a powder day, but it was heavy, like West Coast snow, just trying to early in the season, trying to get out there and get at it. And then um, I just got sloppy and like nosedive into the the powder and hit a stump. Oh, shit. And just came to a dead stop in that lateral motion. Yep. yep. And it was a pop just like yep. that. I'm like, oh, I think that was it. That was it. But I'm like, huh, can I ride out of it? Okay, I'm good. I rode out of it. And um, I kept going for another three years like that. But the difference was this time, if I went into deep flexion, like squatting down real deep, my knee would pop right out of place. And mm -hmm. I would just be like, huh, you know, in my mind, I remember thinking, you only get so many of those. <laughs> but I kept going and I trained really hard. Um, but it got me up to last year, last spring, um, I was climbing and my biggest fear was that knee popping out of place while I was climbing. 
And guess what? It did on a high step. Um, in it was actually Kyla Clay, Craig's at an upper wall. And if anybody locally climbs there, you know that there's a deck. Like you climb to the middle, and there's a deck that's like a no fall zone. Meaning, if you if you're lead climbing, if you fall, you're going to fall significantly farther than if you're on top rope. And um, I got to that place and knew that it was a no fall zone. And I did a high step on that knee, and which put it in that flexion position. Pops out of place, and I'm like, I mean, I know how I can put it back in, but I have to be able to stand up, and, and I can't stand up here. And my other choice was if I fall, I'll probably break my ankles. So the choice is I have to climb with my knee out of place. So I did, and <laughs> I called down to my belayer, I'm about to tear my meniscus, watch me. <laughs> and watch me is a term you often say when, when you're climbing, like, hey, I'm going to do a hard thing. So, <laughs> so that's why we say that. But um, so I did. I tore it. I tore it real good. And after that, it was like um, the meniscus was fully disconnected from my tibia. So it would just but it was 100 percent intact, but it would just like fold over on itself. And me being an aerialist and a climber, I now I had a knee that popped out of place and I had a meniscus that popped out of place. (laughs) And I would like avoid the situations in which those things would occur. So I just work around them. But I knew. I was like, you know what? You need to get this fixed because this is your lifestyle. Pretty soon, what's the next What's the next thing going to happen? Do I totally destroy my knee? So I knew then I was like, all right, you need to start making a plan because I can still function. I'm still in peak you know, fitness level. When do you want to do this? And I picked February because that's you know, kind of a crappy time of year. I can still get some snowboarding in at the beginning of the season. I still, and, the, and when I made this decision, it was like in the summer of last year. So I was like, I still have some climbing left. <laughs> I can still do aerials. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what, that's what we athletes think like, right? Yeah, for sure. So I did like a farewell tour and I went big and, and it, it was good. You had to do both surgeries? Yeah, it was a, it was both things. It was one surgery, but two things were done in it. So they repaired the meniscus. Um, most of the time when you hear of a meniscus repair, they cut out a piece that's snagged. But like I said, mine was fully intact and they had to like stitch it back down, which is really rare. Those don't happen that often and they're extremely painful. And <laughs> there's a risk that it doesn't take and you have to redo the surgery anyway. But mine's good. I did a Good. lot of meditation and visualization. That was the thing I did prior to this. I highly recommend visual, visualization, by the way, um, and talking to your cells. So months in advance, I'm telling my body, hey, we're going to get this fixed. I know you'll be shocked because it's going to be painful, but you should know that it's good for you. And um, just take the direction that the surgeon gave you and take take the instructions and do it, you know, do the, the healing you're supposed to do. So I kept doing this meditation, you know, daily, weekly visualizing my knee healing 100%, visualizing myself climbing again, visualizing myself doing all the things I love um, before I went into surgery. Also, I trained like a mofo. Like, I mean, my legs were massive before I went in. I was lifting like heavier than I've ever been. Um, so I went in really strong, which I also highly recommend. Mm-hmm. And and then bounced back really quick. My surgeon and PTs were like, what are you doing? I barely had swelling. And I was like, visualization, yoga, meditation, training, you know, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> funny. And I'm like my surgeon, when I t- checked in with her last at three months, three months ago, I'm almost to my six months, which is next Thursday, big moment, uh, post-op. Um, 
when I talked to her three months ago, she was like, most people will take at least nine months to recover from this mm -hmm. to where I give them any kind of indication they can start going back to sport. But she's like, you're one of the few and we have them every once in a while. You'll probably be back at it at six months. I would pretty much see that, you know, guaranteed. She's like, I can't believe how you're healing. Mm -hmm. So I get to see her on uh, Thursday. I'm really excited. Pretty sure I get to climb again. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. So that's my story. Good lot in there the yeah. biggest thing i think being especially for athletes that are listening um athletes who haven't been injured or maybe have been or currently is one of the dangers and uh, double-edged sword here uh, benefits of being an athlete is like for me i blew out my back uh, my l5 s1 and it was a horrible blowout and by the time I went in, like I was in pain and I was stiff and like I had a uh, limited range of motion. But when they did the x-ray, which was the first thing they did, they x-rayed me. They're like, all your vertebrae look fine. Everything looks good. And typically, if you have a disc blown to that level, the vertebrae will kind of be tilted in an x-ray because you're missing some of the stability of that disc. All, everything looked fine. They were like, bro, I don't know what you did. Maybe you pulled something, heat, ice, um, but you should be good. Like, just rest. So I was like, all right, rested, went back on the mountain like a week or so later. Um, and I blew it on the bunny hill with my daughter. And so then, same thing, I had a bunch of pain. All of a sudden, a few runs in, I like can't reach my binding. I can't bend down and unbuckle. I was like, what the fuck i like look at my daughter i'm like hey sorry we're done today i don't know what's going on so i go back in i'm like something's wrong like i know my body like something's wrong and they're like all right well if you want we can do an mri i was like yeah let's do an mri they do the mri they see the extru extrusion and they were like how the f snowboarding how the fuck are you walking right they're literally asked me they're like are you pissing yourself or anything i was like what wow no. they're like this extrusion where it's sitting on the nerves in your sciatic will interrupt like the flow of information and you'll get incontinence and you'll be peeing on yourself and like your leg goes drop dead and like they're like how are you and i just told them about like my life and bodybuilding and they were like all right so what we think first of all is that your back muscles were strong enough that when we x-rayed you your back muscles are literally holding that vertebrae in place so that it's not showing in an x-ray that it's off kilter. Uh, and then obviously your lifting and all that has made it so that you have tons of compensation where your body can hold up what most people's can't. So you're not going to feel the injury until it's completely blown like you or like me. And then even when it is blown, we can use other muscles and other groups to keep doing it. And we will avoid yeah. the doctor and be like, I can still like, I'm in pain. Yeah. But like, I can still do my thing. And if I go do this, I'm not going to be able to do my thing. And that's what they tell you. Like, as soon as you walk in, Oh, this part of your life is over. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you're not doing that anymore. And so the visualization, the meditation, the like, this is what we're going to go through. We will bounce back all that stuff. Cause same thing. They, after that MRI, they were like, you 100% need surgery. We need to go in there and cut off that extrusion. We need to fuse your L5-S1. And as an athlete, I'm like, you're not – I'm 30 years old. Yeah. Like, I got at least 20, 30 more years of playing and surfing and snowboarding. You're not fusing my spine. And they were like, well, nothing's going to 
work, right? Like at this level, it's too far gone. We need to do surgery. And I was like, no, no, no. Uh, and so I came to you and I did yoga and I did, uh, massage and I got prolozone injections instead of cortisone injections for the pain. And one of my physical therapist friends told me that he could help me. So I went and started getting physical therapy and I doubled down on my chiropractic and same thing, visualization and meditation. Like I know what healthy feels like. Mm -hmm. like we can get back there, right? It's not a foreign idea to me. And so my physical therapist told me like, Hey, without surgery, you're probably looking at a two year recovery because we have to get that back in. So I'm not saying you're done, but like you're done for a while. Like you should try skiing instead of snowboarding. You should try not lifting as much. Um, and so I did try skiing once. Yeah, how'd that go? It's fucking horrible. I don't know how any of you do that. Bunch of nerds. I don't. <laughs> terrible. My knees have never hurt so bad. Right. I was like, well, how are you people doing this? So I tried it once. Never did it again. Um, I was light in the gym um, and still would get flare ups. I started doing yoga, and it took me about a year. And even they were like. I can't believe you did it in a year, Yeah, but my body knew what to go back to. Mm -hmm. Your body knows what to go back to. Any athletes listening, your body knows what to go back to. Muscle memory is huge. Yep. But if you start getting programmed and reprogramming yourself that that was an old version of you that doesn't exist anymore, mm -hmm. and now because of this injury, this is a new version of you that exists now, and you have to learn how to operate in the world as this new, injured, decrepit, mm -hmm. no longer football playing, no longer yoga doing, rock climbing, snowboarding, whatever, then yeah, that is going to be your new life because that's what you've accepted. But if you just go, it might be a long six months, year, two years, what drives me nuts about whether you're starting a business, recovering from an injury, whatever, is people hear a timeline. Oh, college is going to take four years, eight years, 12 years. Oh, starting a business and being profitable is going to take three years. Oh, you know, this injury is going to take two years to recover from. And so they go, oh my God, no way. I can't. It'll take too long. It'll this. And they don't, they don't go to college. They don't start the business. They don't try to recover from the injury. They just accept that this is life when literally two years is going to go by regardless. Yep. And you're going to get to that same two year mark. You can't control the calendar. The difference is you're going to get to that two year mark and now you're still going to be injured. You're still not going to have the business. You're still not going to be graduated from college. When, if you just went this two years is going to look different than the last 10 you're going to get to that two-year mark, and one version of you is going to be still sitting on the couch watching TV, eating Cheetos, because this is your new yeah. life. The other version of you will be right back to snowboarding or playing football or rock climbing. Or like, on Thursday, I bet you go to that doctor's appointment with your rock climbing shit in your car. You know me too well. <laughs> <laughs> See? This is the plan. See? <laughs> Because you went through the shit for the last yeah. year between yeah. getting the surgery, recovering all that. Yeah. Year and a half. Uh huh. So like. It's a big moment. Yep. But you know, like you're saying, it's, it's like putting money in the bank, even if it's just a little bit every day. That's what I kept finding was even though, you know, I was immobile for a while, I would still move 
and still do what uh, move the parts of my body that weren't injured like twice a day. And I, I called it money in the bank. I was like, <laughs> it still adds up. So like yeah. two years, you're putting money in the bank so that you are, you're back to, it might not, you might not ever be the same. Sometimes you have to have some self-acceptance and say, okay, yeah, I might not ever be the same, but I refuse to subscribe to the beliefs that they're pushing on me. I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to, I'm going to let this injury show myself what I'm made of. And, um, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy, but, uh, the things that are worth it are never easy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I love the money in the bank <laughs> analogy because in relationships and in fitness, um, these are my favorite places to use this analogy, but especially with like weightlifting, bodybuilding, weight loss is I can tell you for sure if you go to the gym and you show up, I guarantee you, I guarantee you there will be results. Yep. I cannot guarantee you when, especially because everybody's different mm -hmm. and maybe you're going to slack off a couple of days and maybe you're going to cheat on your diet because you're human and mm -hmm. it's going to take you a little bit longer than somebody who's crazy strict about it. But if you just keep showing up, I promise you one day you're going to look in the mirror and be like, whoa, there's a bicep there or where yeah. did the belly fat go or same thing in a relationship. If you're with somebody and you're in love with that person, tell me the day that you knew you loved them. Tell me the moment, the thing that you knew you were like, oh, wow, I'm in love with this person. You can't. But as you look back, there's just enough times that they showed up for you. There was enough times mm -hmm. that they were there that that one day you were just like, oh, shit, I love this person. And now that's a part of your DNA, your life, your whatever. It's all money in the bank, right? Mm -hmm. You did enough of the right things for long enough with that person that now you have a partner. You did yep. enough of the right things for long enough that you lost the fat or gained the muscle or recovered from the injury. or So the money in the bank thing is great because yeah. one day you're just going to look and be like, there's $10,000 in there. Exactly. How did I do that? Right. And because you don't see it in the moment often. And that's the thing about dedication and discipline is to show up, like you said, every day doesn't you don't have to show up 100 percent. Sometimes I'm I'm exhausted. I don't want to do it, but I show up and I'll tell myself, well, today I don't have to go 110 mm percent. -hmm. In fact, you can't, especially if you're like me and you who show who do like go hard every day. Mm -hmm. 70 percent's OK, you know. Um, as long as you're moving and, and working towards your goal, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the hardest thing is showing up for people. I agree. And especially when, and this is a good time to, to bring this up, especially when typically athletes are pretty positive mindset. They're pretty winner focused. They're pretty achievement focused. If you're a climber, top of the mountain, you know, if you're a football player, the national championship, if you're whatever, like you're pretty focused on this end goal and you know the work that it's going to take to get there. You know, the holds you're going to have to do to get up to the top, you know, the plays you're going to have to make, whatever. But then all of a sudden you're sitting down with your new coach, right? Typically you have someone who's better than climbing or you have a football coach or a martial arts coach or a personal trainer something. And now your new coach, this doctor is telling you what life looks like. And while they're painting the achievement picture of like, we have to go through this process instead of painting the picture of like, this is what life is going to look like in a year. They paint the picture of this is what life is going to look like. <laughs> and 
being somebody who listens to their coach, now it's this really tough moment of my coach is telling me this and that's not what I want to hear. And typically the way I would get through not hearing something I want to hear, whether it's from my spouse, my therapist, my coach, my whatever, is I'm going to go snowboard. I'm going to go surf. I'm going to go hit the gym for two hours and work through this and try and think about what the fuck they were telling me. But now the coach who's also telling me this grim new story is telling me I can't do any of those things that I typically do to process something like this. So the dangerous point of injury is not physical, it's mental. And we get real fucked up, real dark, real quick, thinking life is over, I'm never going to get to do this anymore. Some people get way too heavy into drugs, especially prescription drugs that were prescribed as a result of the surgery or Mm -hmm. whatever, or they hit the bottle, or you know, they start playing video games because you're told you can't move. And now they're just, this is their new world because we're pretty addictive to like that thing that we have. So now instead of addicted to weights or rocks or sunshine, you're now addicted to pills or booze or video games and dark rooms and horribly negative thoughts. And like, we could get real dark with it, but like, what was that for you? Did you have that moment of destitute that I think we all have? And how did you actually get through that mentally? How did you overcome people telling you this is what your life is going to look like now? Yeah. Um, I had some dark moments for sure during during the process of recovering from this particular uh, surgery. Um it was, it wasn't what I, I mean, I knew it was going to be hard and it was, it was every bit of hard as I thought it was. And then some, because the meniscus reconstruction was, was more than I bargained for. And I'm glad I didn't know how hard it would be before I went in because I might not have done it. hundred percent. Um, but I would take a straight ACL surgery over this meniscus reconstruction because it required that my right leg was immobile for three months in a, in a brace. Um, I could do my PT and unlock the brace and bend my knee during that time. But um, it was really hard on the hip to walk with a peg leg. Your leg, leg is locked out. Um, I can't stretch. Um, so I could have sat there and just was like, well, I guess I can't do anything. I guess I'll just sit in this recliner and ice my knee and eat bonbons. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, and, uh, I just leaned into it. The You know, after surgery, the first week is just pain. But... Um, I moved through the pain. I, I had things that they said I could do. And even though they hurt like hell, I breathed through it. I have this sort of mantra. I say, feel everything, resist nothing. So we resi- when we resist things that we have to go through, it creates suffering. And suffering and pain are kind of the same thing, but not, you know, like you can still have pain, but not be suffering. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. So. I was trying to get through the pain with the least amount of suffering I could do mentally and physically. Um, so I did a lot of breath work and then like the visualization. But I also thought, well, how else can I move? Because we know movement is medicine. It is. I mean, getting blood flow mm-hmm. is medicine. So I did all the PT that they said. But then I did more because I have knowledge. I know I know my body. I was like, well, what? what? I mean, my arms aren't 
my arms aren't injured. My core isn't injured. Boy, I don't want to sit in this recliner and become a, a jello. So I'm going to go crawl onto the floor down there since I'm, I, I had like two weeks in the, in the dark, um, you know, of winter by myself in my house. Nobody there. It was very depressing, extremely mm-hmm. depressing. Everyone's snowboarding and snowing outside. Can't go out. Um, so I just leaned in. I just t- tuned out the world and found some good movies. And then I would just like twice or three times a day get on the floor and do crunches. And then I did back extensions and backwards. I'd roll over on my tummy and like, mm-hmm. all right, we're just going to work my back. I want a strong back after this. And then I started doing um, uh, like push-ups with like modified push-ups. It turns out I learned you can do push-ups against the wall and they translate. Mm-hmm. For like six weeks, I was just doing wall push-ups. Nice. Several times a day, mind you. Good. <laughs> but when I actually got to do real push-ups, I was like, dude, I'm killing it. <laughs> and then, um, so I was, I was just doing what I could. I moved and like, that's where the money in the bank thing came. Cause I was like, wow, this stuff actually adds up. It doesn't feel like I'm doing much right now, but if I'm consistent and I do it every day, it actually adds up. And so then I show up, uh, I get to go back to the gym and I realize, well, geez, I can do pull-ups. I'm just going to bang out a bunch of pull-ups. <laughs> yep. And uh, uh, and then um, I found battle ropes, by the way, highly recommend battle ropes. You know those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got them in my garage. Yeah. So, I mean, I dinked around with them before, but I dare you to try and get your heart rate up when you can't use your legs. Just try. Mm-hmm. Pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my cardio is going to just be destroyed. I'm going to be a slob after this. So I was like, wait, those battle ropes over there. And I just started doing those four times a week, like just 20 minutes, you know, intervals. Yep. Not doing it the whole time. Push-ups in between, pull-ups in between. And that's what that was my life. <laughs> I was like, Good. Oh, that's what I'm doing. Um, and, and it turns out that stuff really made a difference because I'm literally stronger than I am. My back my core. I mean, I'm doing stuff that I couldn't do in aerials that um, I was not strong enough to do before. And I come back and my, my girlfriends are like, what the hell? I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, when you can't use one part of your body, you can, it's like people who have, um, who are blind, who are very sensitive to hearing. Right. Mm-hmm. So I moved my attention to the parts that I could use. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did to cope. Okay. And it paid off. It's really kind of exciting. And I was able to return to the hoop earlier than expected and i just told my pt i snuck in just to visit the girls because it had been three months and i finally got my brace off and i was like i just want to see my girls i'm dying three months of isolation truly and it was really hard i had moments of um just you know ugly crying Mm -hmm. but i indulge in that i'll I'll come back to the ugly crying because i was starting another thought but i went to visit my girls and I was like, well, what would happen if I just, you know, hang on the hoop a little bit? And <laughs> so, of course, it led to me trying to come up with a sequence that I designed that didn't use my leg, which was a wonderful challenge. So I spent weeks after that just designing any way that no impact on my knee, and I okayed it with my PT. They're like, mm, right, well, okay, as long as you follow this protocol. So I followed the protocol. And then each week I would get stronger and stronger. And then the next thing you know, I'm back in the hoop. I'm still in the hoop. And I performed three times epic performances. And I, if you watch, my right leg is not being used except for maybe splits. I mean, okay. it's not hooked in the hoop. I'm not waiting it. Um, but I worked around it. And um, 
it's it's like it's really exciting. So I, I can't it. wait because Thursday I probably can start hooking my knee and my hip. Good. We're gonna have bigger trips tricks coming soon. Good. Yeah. Good. So lots of things there. So number one, your deep dark was only about two weeks. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Leading up to it was one of the hardest things I've had to do in my life. Making the decision. Oh, and then, so, you know, usually these things happen with an accident. And then you're like, oh, I have to get it fixed. But I had months to plan this damn thing, and which was both a blessing and a curse because the weeks leading up to it, all I could think about was I'm going to lose my mobility here Mm -hmm. really soon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be in pain. And I mean, the the days leading up to it, I was a total wreck. I mean, going into surgery was just like, I mean, I was, just, I, I, I don't like the idea of hurting my body, but it was also, I, I was allowing pain so that I would have longer um, longevity, I guess, mm-hmm. in the long run. And I explained that to my body, but my body was upset. It's going to be, yeah. even though I tried to explain it to, to it. I talked to myself, I talked to my knees. So I'm sitting there by myself for three months. I would say three months of darkness. Okay, that makes more sense. Two weeks of severe pain yep. and you okay. know, desperation, but three months of like being really isolated and alone. Yep. yep. And feeling like I lost my identity, which is not a bad thing, by the way, because our identities are what are are just temporary any anyways, because that's just something we make while we're here on earth. Mm-hmm. And it can be removed at any moment in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, identity comes up in this a lot, and it's one of my favorite topics. I say in this, I mean the show. So I'll probably do an episode on identity, but it's one of my favorite things, especially with new agents that come to sell our product. Like everybody thinks they know who they are, and they're going to come here and like crush and make all this money. I'm like, dude, this is going to push you, test you in ways you don't know, and you really got to be clear on who you are and what and so we'll start this exercise of like who are you and i love this exercise because everyone always fills it in the same way i'm a father i'm a husband i'm a nope those are all roles you play so who are you and then they're like okay well i'm a christian nope that's a religion well i'm a republican nope that's a way that you vote and so you start ripping away these things that people tie their identity to Mm -hmm. and then you get to the level of like okay how do you speak? I am. Okay, well, I say the same thing. So if you're I and I'm I, and we're both identifying as that, and that's who I am, and you're I, and I, who, what the fuck identity do you think you're actually playing with? Yes. You're not, right? Mm-hmm. So again, that ego tying into it and like the three months makes way more sense to me because again, you do come up, especially with athletes, like one of my identities is like I am an athlete, mm-hmm. right? One of my titles that I give myself, which is really just, I move. Yep. Right. And like you said, movement is medicine. Jim quick, uh, says when the body moves, the brain grooves. Right. And so, yeah, we are meant to move, especially athletes. Like I've probably been a quote unquote athlete since I was six or seven. Right. Right. Like it's as early as I can really have memories. I was playing sports. I was doing something, moving martial arts, baseball, playing with my friends, jumping off of bridges, snowboard, like, and so for us, like if you can't move, okay. Yeah. That's a big fucking problem. Identity wise, right? It's world shattering. Like, especially if you tie something like 
happiness to it. Like I am happiest on a surfboard or a snowboard mm-hmm. in the wintertime or the summertime. Shoulder season sucks a little bit, which is why I have the gym. Yeah. But with me and my back injury, they're saying the rotation of being on a snowboard or a surfboard was going to be way too much on that pivot mm-hmm. point, And I was done with that and I needed to ski. Dude, fuck. What like the thing that makes me happiest now you're telling me that's gone and mm-hmm. I was planning on doing this in my 70s with my grandkids? Like, are you kidding me? So another one of the things that you talked about, and this is what I want to tie it to, is Yoda's whole thing of anger turns into hate, hate turns into pain, pain turns into suffering. I think for most people, especially in 2023, not athletes, um, but most people, we are so set, Kelly, if you listen to this, <laughs> my eldest daughter and my wife, they love their comfort. They love being in the house to a perfectly temperature regulated zone. <laughs> if they're out on the beach, they like to be on the sand, in the sun, not wet, not this. In the car, temperatures regulated. You know, you've got whatever food you want at the touch. So we've become very, very comfortable not a lot of pain, nothing to go through. And what I love about yoga, what I love about bodybuilding, what I love about martial arts is you're going to go through pain in your practice. The practice pretty much is pain. Yep. And your physical body will grow and will develop as a result, which is what most people are like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym and get better biceps or a six pack or whatever. <laughs> like, Yet that's the result. And you see, we talked about this, you'll see bodybuilders that are so disconnected from their body, which doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Mm -hmm. Because what bodybuilding is about is not the bicep. Yes, true bodybuilding, and if you're actually doing a show, is about creating a symmetrical musculatory system that you can see. I can definitely see your rhomboid versus your bicep. I can see the separation of muscle. But in order to build that muscle, you have to go in, get to your brain, signal just that one muscle if you're bodybuilding. You need to be able to communicate directly to that rhomboid, keep everything locked tight, and just move the one piece of your joint that's going to actually build that rhomboid. It, You're going to be lifting, if you're doing a rear delt fly like that, 5 to 10 pounds if you're strong. If you're just using that one muscle and it hurts and then you're going to go, we're going to do this 15, 20 times. We're going to put it down. We're going to do that three or four times. So it's when your body goes, dude, no. And you're like, yeah, it's not that bad. We're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And then your body goes, no. And you go, yeah, calm down. We're going to over and over and over and over. And then you get a better body or you get to a point where you can bend and touch your elbows to your toe tips because you're the most (laughs) flexible person in the world. Or you can, you know, scale free solo a mountain or whatever. But the practice you had to go through and the pain you had to face to become the person who could build that body, do that stretch, free solo a mountain, that is what it's about. That mental journey of disconnecting from whatever your body and your nervous system is telling you run from stop, put the weights down, just sit. Why are you lifting weights? It hurts. Why are you stretching? It hurts. Why are we doing this surgery? It hurts. Why are we doing this recovery? It hurts. Most people are like, it hurts. No, I'll just be injured forever and sit on the couch 
So why do you lean into pain? And for yoga for 30 years, I've done yoga with you. It yeah. fucking hurts. <laughs> <laughs> also, I love having you in class, by the way. You're, you're an awesome yogi. Thank you. I think that martial arts really pays off, but, um, what I would say is pain is information, right? We were talking about this earlier, but, um, pain is simply telling you something. Um, it might mean that this is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a matter of being able to know the difference of that discomfort and true sharpshooting pain of that electrical pain that says back off. This is an injury. Yeah. Um, so it's information and like pain, I heard this somewhere. I can't remember where I've heard it, but it's stuck with me. Pain doesn't actually hurt you. Like you're, if you think about the pain is just a sensation. Yep. It's information. So pain itself can't hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of how we train ourselves to lean into the discomfort and, and the pain of discomfort and, and then avoid those sharpshooting uh, signals that say, okay, this one you don't do. Mm-hmm. This one's uncomfortable. I don't want to do it, but we're going to do it. And that's when you talk to your body and then you train it. And then before you know it, it doesn't hurt anymore. It gets easier because of consistency. We have to continue to show up. We can't just do it once or twice and think we're going to get results. It, and strength, flexibility happens over time. And it's a constant push-pull. Like I'm constantly, like I'll build these big uh, shoulder and back muscles so that I can climb. But then I'm like, oh, I'm so stiff on my back fins. So I have to, you have to do the constant push pull Mm -hmm. to keep lean functional muscle. Depends on your goals. Like Mm -hmm. I want lean functional muscles because I want to be mobile when I get older. I want to be able to do things um, way into old age. And I want to actually redefine what age is working on it. It's a good mission. It sounds like you're doing the same. Like, you know, I did have a moment of, while I was stretching um, during recovery at home and my L4 and L5 like popped out. And because I had to have that damn peg leg, you try to walk with a straight leg, your hip's going to go out. Mm-hmm. I knew this. Mm-hmm. It was like, there's no way I can stretch it. It was just, you just know, okay, you're doing damage to your body at the same time you're trying to heal something. Yep. So I knew this and then it happened. I was like, Oh, here it is. And back pain, dude, I feel for you. There is nothing like back pain. I was like, okay, I'll take the knee pain. Can I just have the knee pain? I don't want the back pain anymore. Mm-hmm. Cause you can't do anything. Yeah. You know, I've often thought, well, knee injury sucks, but dude, I can still do pull-ups all day long. Mm-hmm. I don't want a shoulder injury. <laughs> you know what I mean, injuries, there's all different kinds. You just have to work through them. And, um, but, um, yeah, I feel for you in the back because cause that's one you don't want to mess with. Mm-mm. There's nothing like back pain. No. I've been through some shit, as you listeners of the show from the beginning know, and never once have I thought about suicide. And I go to therapy, uh, have been going to therapy for six years. I didn't think about suicide, and that's why I went to therapy. I knew I had shit that I needed to go through. There was one night um, while I was – going through the recovery process after the injury because I did not get the surgery. I was taking the slow road. Um, but that extrusion was so bad. Literally the bulge from the disc was sitting on top, like of the sciatic nerve in that sciatic joint. And it was just pinching that. And so it was constant pain. And like, I've got a ridiculously high pain tolerance. And so like a nine for me is probably like a 30 for somebody else. But like my, 
physical therapist when we were going through this, he put this electrical stim stuff on me and he's like, just tell me when like it's uncomfortable and we'll leave it there. He's like turning it up. I don't say anything. <laughs> and he's like, Hey bud, are you trying to prove a point? I was like, no, what's up? He's like, it's maxed out. And I was like, Oh, it, like it tingles a little bit. He's like, Jesus Christ, bro. His quote was, you have the pain tolerance of a dead mule. <laughs> I was like, okay, not sure I should take that. Mm. So I can take quite a bit. And this one night, like, I literally thought, and it's like a Saturday night, I've got VA benefits, which means I can't get a hold of anyone until Monday because the government offices are closed. There's a risk that if I go into the emergency room, the VA won't cover the bill because I didn't get pre-approval. So I wake up in the middle of the night. And the pain for me is like a 15. And wow. I literally am pacing around my house, silent crying because I didn't want to wake up my wife. Aww. And I literally was like, the only way to end this is to end it. Wow. Like, I, I can't figure out how to, I was taking the pain meds. I was like, I can't figure out how to turn off the pain signal. Cause it's just that sharp, like mm -hmm. we have a horrific problem. And I knew what the problem was. The, disc was sitting on the nerve i couldn't stretch it out i couldn't the paint and i was like what how long is this going to last like is this life now am i just going to be in this wow. horrific shooting but that's the difference between the sharp shooting like we have a serious issue pain yep and the a this is just pain the reason i think i have such a high pain tolerance is because my whole life i've leaned into bodybuilding and martial arts and what I, and you know that like pain is discomfort yep right like if i turn the stove on full blast and it's red as shit and i put my hand on Ugh. it it's going to hurt like crazy yeah but again it's that pain signal isn't what's doing anything me yeah. setting my fucking hand on the yeah. hot stove is what's actually doing something yes right so Leaning into those signals, I think, is what makes it so that you can get through the injury. Yes. Because you're going to be like, this is going to hurt. Mm -hmm. You're not going to like this. There's going to be a recovery period. Just do what the surgeon directs you to do. Do the things that you need to do. And then showing up consistently, like you said, to go, I'm going to do something that hurts for the next 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And back to that ugly crying I was talking about. Okay. <laughs> like, um, I knew that from having a prior ACL surgery, one of the biggest um, hurdles for people to overcome is that they lose quad um, mobility. Like yep. they, your quad will go to sleep and then it's a real long time to get that um, mobility back. So I knew, I was like, I do not want this quad to go to sleep. So I did the, their quad exercises, you know, the day of my surgery, I get home. Well, I probably slept that night, but next day, first day, um, I'm doing those quad exercises. And let me tell you, I was ugly crying because it hurts so fucking bad. Most people were like, it hurts too bad. I'm not going to do it. And I right. asked my doctor, it hurts, right? And they're like, yep, you can still do it. So I did everything that they said is going to hurt. I did it day one consistently, tw two to three times a day. And there were moments where, like, I mean, I'm glad I was alone because I, I, um, I have learned to lean into the crying not indulge. I mean, it's a little bit of an indulgence, a release. Yes. Just let it out. Let it move through you. Resist nothing. Feel everything. And then it passes. Yep. Uh, but it might not pass when you want it to. Yep. But man, I was, there were just days where I was just like, 
just oh, you know, like oh, you know. And then I um I would talk to my knees because I had lefty, the one that was already healed and recovered and and healthy, the non surgical knee. And I would talk to lefty and say, hey, you're gonna have to pull a lot of the weight here, lefty. I I appreciate you. And I would talk to righty and be like, I know you're going through hell, man. We're here for you. You got this. And it worked. I mean, these little things where mm-hmm. you're treating the cells of your body as intelligence because they are. And they're your intelligence. Yes. So why not talk to them, you know, and visualize exactly what's supposed to be happening. I visualize that ACL connecting into the insertion points and healing and growing a new ACL. Actually, it's, it's really fascinating. You get a, a you start with a ligament and they drill holes and attach it in there, and then it dies. But that's the lattice for you to regrow mm-hmm. the actual like fertilizer, almost. Oh, you start with a tendon and it turns into a ligament. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's a big healing process, and yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. And I didn't like going back to the drugs and the pain. I they gave me oxy, oxy codone. No, it wasn't that one. Was Cotton. It? Yeah, <laughs> something. One of the oxies. I'm not a druggie. I don't. <laughs> and I, I did it like the. Well, I didn't have to take any because they gave me freaking fentanyl, and then. Ooh. I know. Well, I was, I was like, they're like, "How's the pain?" Right after surgery, and I'm like, "What's pain?" Dude? You know, I was like, "Well, it, they hadn't given me the fentanyl oh. yet." I was like, "Oh, I can feel it," and then they're like, "Here comes the fentanyl." They said this. I'm like, wait, I didn't ask for that. Oh my God. You know, didn't ask for it, didn't really want it, but got it anyway. Um, and then they gave me the oxys and I tried them, but I knew that that was a dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah. Cause I found I only used them for two days. And the two days when they wore off, I was like, where's the fucking oxy? Uh-huh. You know? Um, so I was like, enough of that. Enough. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not doing it. I just cut myself off after like I think a day and a half. I was like, I this is not what I want. Um, they're so damn addictive. Yeah. And they weren't the thing that I found Tylenol bit better of taking away the pain sensations than the oxy. The oxy was like, it was like taking the pain and putting it over there, but it was still there. And you're like, oh, it's just removed. So mm-hmm. I can. It was dangerous stuff. So I just like leaned into the pain. Took Tylenol took ibuprofen well i couldn't take ibuprofen because there's a weird thing with the meniscus they want you to have some swelling and blood flow in there when it's healing so they don't want you to take down the inflammation too much so you couldn't take ibuprofen i was like what the fuck yeah and with them uh (laughs) drilling holes in your bones uh i broke my foot three ish months ago oh yeah that was crazy god damn right as i was getting back into my gym routine too and uh I was taking ibuprofen for like a week until I got to see my ortho. Um, and then it was in my chart that I was taking ibuprofen and they were like, well, who told you to take that? And I was like, oh, you just take ibuprofen when you get injured. Right. And he's like, for the most part, yeah, but ibuprofen slows bone growth. Oh, so if you're drilling holes in bones, if you're breaking bones, ibuprofen is not what you want to be taking. Yeah. And it didn't give me much options. So they almost really pushed those oxys. They're like, well, why aren't you taking your oxys? And I'm like, because I don't want to. And I, and then I was like, how about Tylenol? It works real good. They're like, well, we've found that's pretty hard on the liver. We don't want you taking that very much and very, very minimal amount. I'm like, what? I can't take Tylenol. But I can take oxy. Oh, that's they want- not hard on the liver. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They were like all about the oxy. You want to refill? Nope. Nope. I don't want any more. And again, with the pain. Why the fuck are you trying to remove the pain? Yep. 
It's the it's it's the information you need to know where you're at. Right. And like my body should be in pain. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be in euphoric bliss. It's like childbirth. Yeah. I had Kaylee Armour in here to talk about uh, epigenetics and like the whole human process and childbirth and all that. Why the fuck are you so set on taking away the mother's yeah. pain? She's getting ready to push a human being out. Yeah. Everyone's going to be in some fucking pain for the next few minutes. Yeah. And we'll get through it and we'll be okay. But it's like, intensity too. That's like intensity because you're also bringing life into the world. And right. Why would you want to dull that? I, I was the same way. I, I did not do any drugs for that. Yeah. Kaylee does home births in her bathtub. That's like, awesome. I had home birth too. I'm just like, why? Like me, I didn't, they tried to give me uh, medication for my PTSD when I came back. They tried giving me medication for um, my blown out back with the pain. The only thing I would take is the muscle relaxers because the pain would seize up the muscles mm-hmm. around my back. Yeah. Um, they said, hey, with your back, we can give you cortisone shots, but you're only, you can only take three rounds of cortisone before it'll trash your liver where you can take infinite amounts of prolozone because it's all natural, oh, wow. which is why I was doing prolozone. Does not work as well for the pain removal, but it does work. It's just peptides and ozone and giving your body the nutrients. But like for the most part, I'll smoke my weed. I might rub yep. some like CBD THC oil on the site Heck or whatever. Yeah. But like, why are you so set on A, giving me the surgery taking away the pain with surgery, which is good. We're repairing what's actually wrong to a level that the body can't, you know, regrow those tendons and whatnot, and then take away all the pain of the recovery process. Like, Mm -hmm. let me feel some of this fucking pain. I'm obviously going through something. Yep. Yeah. And that's it. And and feeling the pain, not only um, physically, but emotionally, like even in life, we we don't want to feel our pain. It's, it's uncomfortable, but you have to, and I try and lean in. I still do the ugly cry at home if I'm going through something emotional. I'll be like, "All right, I'm gonna indulge. I'm gonna let. I'm gonna let this out, you know." And no one's around. But <laughs> if I'm having a hard time emotionally, whatever, you know, we're supposed to feel it. We don't need to numb it all the time. Kelly schedules cries. <laughs> she and I should get together. No, that would be dangerous. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, for me, the way I grew up, like. Mom was super drugged out and like not numbed to the world. So she wasn't paying attention. No dad, this, that, the other, and like no siblings. No, so like emotions. Well, I was growing up was not a big thing. Uh, and so like really intense emotions, especially before my six years of therapy would make me uncomfortable. I'd be like, huh, you probably need to go fucking cry somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm way more comfortable. I can hold space for people. But like Kelly started being like, okay, you obviously need some work being okay with people's emotions. But I also should be able, if I'm going to have a big emotional, I should be able to go and like make some space for myself. Mm -hmm. So with how much I travel, (laughs) I'll be like out of town. The girls will be at their dad's. She picks this one show. About yes. this little girl who like <laughs> goes through cancer or something, just makes her cry every time, and she just <sighs> just unleashes. I love this. Her cries because she knows she needs that emotional release, right? right? Not to numb it, not to hide it, maybe to process it by yourself, but like we need that time. And then if you don't process it, 
You don't cry through the pain. You don't feel the pain. You take the oxys. Now you're addicted. Yep. Now you're on a whole different journey. Yeah, absolutely. You're on basically round a new injury. Mm-hmm. Your whole oh, mental, emotional state is fucked. Yes. So I don't know where you guys might be in your journey from, I know I'm injured, but I don't want to go in because I'm an athlete and maybe my other muscles are strong enough that I'm able to keep doing this thing uh-huh. as <laughs> Loon and I both have done. Uh-huh. Maybe you're at the stage where you're like Loon and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this surgery and you're in the pre-depression of like what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've had a surgery or maybe you're like me and you're like, I'll take the longer road because it's still possible to recover. Either way, you're on a road to recovery post-surgery or no surgery. Maybe you're on medication. Maybe you're not on medication. At some point in your journey, wherever you are, there's some level of pain. There's some level of emotional stress that you're about to go through. Definitely physical change, adaptation, all that. But if you're a bodybuilder, snowboarder like me, if you're a yogi, rock climber, snowboarder like Loon, if you're XYZ, like me, I started doing more yoga practice. I started doing more walking, just literally walking. I couldn't run. It was too high impact. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, right? So now I'm stretching. I'm walking where I normally used to stretch just to warm up. And I used to run or snowboard or whatever. Loon has no movement on her leg. She's now doing upper body work and pull-ups, push-ups, right? Which are two, they're actually full body exercises. They may be focused in upper body, but great adaptation. And human beings, guys, this is what I've mentioned this on this podcast many times. The only reason humans are the apex species on earth is because we are the best at adapting. Our brains are what we've evolved into has let us go, hey, this isn't working. I'm going to adapt to that. Or we're not supposed to fly, yet we fly and have planes. We're not supposed to be ocean-bound creatures, yet we have submarines and boats and we swim. Like We can adapt to anything. We're just so set in our ways due to our identity that we think that life is over. So... The one thing that you can do, I think, and we've touched on this, is A, yes, adapt. But when you adapt, you got to show up consistently because Loon was, I mean, day one doing those quad exercises, right? So you have to adapt, but then it's about consistency on this new thing, which the more difficult thing than the physical side of it is that you are adapting to and creating kind of a new identity. But- it could be fun, right? Maybe now yoga is your new journey, your new practice. Yep. Maybe now bodybuilding is more of a routine and you're doing heavy lifting. Maybe now you found running or swimming or whatever, something that you might not have ever done mm-hmm. as a regular practice is now this new athletic outlet for yep. you. So it's not so much one door closing as it might be another door opening, And you can always go back to that closed door and reopen it. It's not permanently closed. Yes. Right? Like you're back to stretching your leg. Yeah. You're about to be back to hooking your leg into the hoop and rock climbing. And I'm back to snowboarding and surfing. And so you're going to go through some shit, Mm -hmm. like guaranteed, right? You can either sit in the shit forever or 
you can look at it as a new opportunity to practice something new, make new relationships, learn new things. Loon was all of a sudden my new yoga instructor, right? Like just lean into whatever thing you're going through because honestly you don't have a choice, right? And I think that's what 90% of your mental, emotional pain is coming from is you're acting like you don't have a choice, but you do. Right. It's just not the choice you want to make. And that's the problem. The choice I want to make is I want to go snowboarding. Well, guess what, motherfucker? You can't. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So what can you do and lean into that can instead of leaning into the can't? I like that. So one of my favorite things that you've said in this whole conversation is feel everything, resist nothing. I think that's gold. Yeah. Where did that come from? I think I heard one of my teachers say it. Um, years ago and I, it, it just hit me and I kept it, put it in my back pocket. And I actually did a practice the day I went into surgery that morning. I did a yoga practice with that as my meditation and the practice was designed on that theme. So that I'd go into this doing that. And, and, and intention is huge in this world. It's, it's a force in itself. And so when you set an intention, like I always tell students when we're practicing on the mat here, we're, we're setting intentions every time you practice. You, you set an intention for your practice for that day. Well, we're practicing that on the mat so that we learn how to set intentions in the world. So we're not just bumbling through life with no thought. We're just, no, oh, this is how this is happening to me. No, you actually attract and create the world that's mm-hmm. around you, which I know you know well. Mm-hmm. Um, so intention setting along with feeling what's going on and along with letting go of your identity because that can be restricting because identity truly is Mm man-made like you said what is underneath all of those things there's like a a buddhist meditation where you lose your identity and you imagine uh where you are like i'm i'm you know you take away all of the um i'm a mom i'm a teacher i'm a this i'm a that and then you're like what am i Mm -hmm. you know what am i I'll have to look up this meditation and practice it. Yeah, it's I I've I've done it a couple times. You'll have to, I don't know I, like it. I don't know what it's called, but it is basically like you lose your identity. That's okay. the whole design. Cuz you know, they uh the attachment is what they say in and pretty much all of well, I don't know, all, but many uh teachers, right? Many um gurus, whatever you want to call it, masters would say attachment is what called causes suffering. Mm-hmm. So when we're attached to an identity, an idea of what we want in life, we're attached to possessions, attached to drugs, right? That creates suffering. So when we can lose those or let learn to let go of those attachments, have self-acceptance in the moment, but also have intentions for what it is that you want to create, I think those are the combination, those are the ingredients to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even attachment to people, right? Like- yes, you see, especially older couples where one spouse dies and mm-hmm. then the other cup, the other spouse is just like, that's it for me. Yep. I'm going to die now. And they do within mm-hmm. a month or so. Yeah. They just lose the will to live. It's kind of sweet though. It is romantic, <laughs> but literally attachment is so powerful. It can kill you. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Where if like, I love my family very, very much, Kelly, all that stuff, but I'm a huge practicer of Mm non-attachment, especially from the way I grew up of like, I love you. I want you here. But as soon as you go, whether that's through a breakup or death or whatever, yeah, I will have a period of suffering Mm -hmm. for sure. But I will get through it because 
me and my existence, it, it has nothing to do with you. Like we're intertwining it for now, but if anything happened and you're gone and I'm my identity is tied up in this, that's so far out of my control. If I lose you for any reason, I will lose myself. So that is the danger with attachment of any kind, whether it's something inanimate, whether it's a drug, whether it's a person, whether at a certain point, that thing is not tied to you. You have to pursue it. And if it leaves, who or what are you? Yeah. That's the that's the danger of it. And that's the danger with sports injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we uh, uh, tie our identity so strongly to who we are. And really, any of these things can be taken away. But that that brings it back to gratitude. So when you know that and you realize it, you know, you could become depressed like, oh, God, well, then why am I doing anything? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it's about enjoying the moments that you have right now. My body, because I've trained it, can, is mobile. I love being mobile. Mo mobility is is life. Um, but what if that were taken away? You know, that would we would adapt. We would have to we'd have to live in that moment. But right now, I do have mobility, mm -hmm. so I can enjoy it, mm -hmm. and I can have gratitude for it. Now, my gratitude is through the roof yeah. from the journey I just went on for the last year and a half. Well, longer than that, but truly having to modify. I'm still having to modify, but um, but just seeing the results of putting that money in the bank, showing up every day, it's getting exciting. Mm -hmm. And and I had many days where I regret regretted. Like you made a mistake. Like, why did you do this? This is torture. Mm -hmm. And you know, will my knee ever be the same? But um, I had to have faith. You're going to have doubts. Just don't let those doubts um, overshadow what you're trying to do. Keep focused, and um, it will pay off. And, and, and gratitude, right? Yeah, gratitude for those moments you get. Yeah, you're going to be mad grateful on that rock climb. Oh God, on Thursday. Yeah, I'm visualizing. I, I pretty much, I, it's going to happen. Yeah, as you say this, um, an interesting idea comes to mind of, I think one of the healthiest practices we can do is fast. Yeah. So one thing I'm fascinated with right now is um, there's a big phenomena going on right now where people are fasting from light and oh. they're doing darkness uh, retreats where like pitch black for could be 24 hours, could be 48 hours, whatever. Um, and you'll go into a dark space, but you also have these like light blocking. So like not a particle of light can come in. And then when you obviously see light again, it's just like, whoa, fuck. Wow. So that's interesting me right now. Um, fasting from food, even for, 24 hours, almost every ancient culture mm -hmm. does some version of fasting. Um, and so when you go through a sports injury and for somebody who's big on fasting, you know, fasting from technology, fasting from whatever, um, and just giving your body that break and then bringing it back in, reintroducing it. Um, you can look at your hiatus while you're in this injury as if you're fasting from, snowboarding from whatever um, and just giving your body a break from that but being very very careful I am statements are super powerful right and so one of my identity points is like I am a snowboarder especially if you're on the mountain and there's skiers mm -hmm. yeah. around you you're like <laughs> I'm not one of them I'm one of these right 100% but then if you can't 
now your I am needs to change. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem is like all of a sudden this thing that I am Mm -hmm. is no longer. And so how do you fill that empty space between behind I am? Mm -hmm. I am practicing. I am healing. Yeah. For a minute there. I am a yogi. Um, I need to, I think I just need to learn some individual practice for yoga because I travel so much. Right. And it's this thing where like, I think I have to go to class to do yoga. Um, but being able to pause and replace that I am, I think that's big because we just keep going. I am a snowboarder, but I can't snowboard. Yeah. And that's where the depression comes from is you're Mm -hmm. attached to this idea of being on the mountain and you can't be. So what can you be? And while you do that, you're going to have to replace that I am. And whether it's I am healing or I am stretching or I am. But those identities, those things that we attach ourselves to, I think is where the whole problem with sports injury comes from. It's not the injury. If you could detach yourself from the injury, I don't know any athletes that don't get injured. Right. I don't give a fuck what sport you're doing. Mm -hmm. The injury is coming. It might be career ending. It might mean you take a year off, Mm -hmm. but if everybody's dealing with sports injury and by far what everyone's dealing with is the mental and then the addiction problems that can come from going through this new life is if we can just replace people's attachment to the I am, I think that gets us a lot further. And for you, it was I am healing. Yeah. And still healing. And um, I think truly if we put nothing behind the I am too, it's powerful. It's a lot like more simply powerful. I am. Do we need to be anything more than that? There is all this push in our culture, right? To mm-hmm. to be identify. something, do something, identify. Um, but what if we simply are and and we sit in that stillness and and even though it's hard as a person who likes to move, there is something to be said for stillness and we mm-hmm. need it. Um, that's where meditation comes in. But you can simply meditate the I am meditation, which is I am. What does that mean? What is beneath all the layers? And it's simply presence. So that's which animates your body, the consciousness. The, we call it the watcher in yoga, the watcher of your thoughts. So you aren't your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a product of your brain. That's a like, a, you know, that's what your brain does its job. So what is behind the thoughts? So you can simply meditate on watching your thoughts, being the watcher and calming. We call the the monkey mind in yoga or chitta vritti, which is a chatter of your thoughts. And that is simply by watching them and sitting back. And then you'll start to recognize presence, which is the eternal self. What is self? And you'll be able to differentiate between self and your thoughts. And your emotions, because you're not your emotions either. Mm-hmm. All those emotions, woo! Whirlwind. Powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's not who you are. When you take away your physical body and the hormones and the and the chemicals that make you feel that way, what's what remains? If your body's gone, if your identity's gone, what remains? And that's 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 the uh, the uh, uh, life quest, isn't it? To figure that out, it should mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. So that's where meditation comes in, and that's how you can get through those hard times of I'm not able to do the things I want to do. So what am I without them? Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, like losing 
mobility to the degree of, uh, you know, where you won't be able to ever use your legs again or something is that that's huge loss. Mm-hmm. What, what a challenge. But, um, so then what do you do there? You know, everyone's going to face, we, nothing is permanent on this, in this world, except for the eternal self. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything is temporary, including pain. So if we can keep that in perspective, that's where that gratitude comes in again. Today I can move pain free. I can do many things, maybe not all the things I want to do, but I'm grateful for the things I get to do. Or how about I can fucking feel pain? Uh, yeah, right? That's a good w- reframe because uh, it means you're alive. Yeah, I was literally surfing with a paraplegic yesterday who's got no feeling, obviously, from the waist down. Um, awesome dude. And I accidentally stepped on his toes <laughs> while I was headed to the back of the boat to surf. <laughs> And I was like, fuck, bro, I'm sorry. And he's like, ah, don't worry, I can't feel it. And I was like, oh. And so like even being like, I can feel pain. Yeah. I can feel if somebody steps on my fucking toes. Yeah. The fact that I can feel so intensely to the point where I was like, this might be it. I could feel that level of pain. Like there are some people that wouldn't be able to feel that. They don't have that nervous System, yep. that part of their nervous system anymore. They're mm-hmm. paralyzed, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, um, meditation, the best way, I like the observer um, because the best way that I ever heard it explained was like a river. And so our thoughts are the river. Mm-hmm. And the problem is we think we are the river. Yep. And we think we're this rushing, constant flow of thoughts and information. The river exists whether I'm there or not. Now, if I can pull myself out of the river and stop being swept away by the currents, swept away by the thoughts, if I can get myself to the edge of the river and get out, can I sit on the edge of the river and watch the river flow by? Mm -hmm. Then, inevitably, the river is going to rise and it's going to catch you and you're going to get swept away in the river of thoughts again. Can you pull yourself back out of the river and sit on the edge and become the observer again? And for me, meditation is just constantly pulling myself out of the river and sitting back on the riverbank. And the whole goal is how long can I sit on the riverbank before I get swept away again? Okay, I pull myself out. How long can I sit on the riverbank this time? Eventually, I can maybe sit there for eternity and just watch and listen to the thoughts that pass by without getting engulfed in them. But being the observer, being the person who's able to sit on the edge of the river instead of thinking that you are the river, um, thinking that you are the injury, thinking that you are the, because you're not, right? Yeah. You're the observer. You're the observer. We're the experiencing this simulation, if you will. Who knows what we're doing here, really, but it does it, it does seem like uh, quite the simulation. <laughs> I literally was surfing yesterday and was like, yelled back to the boat i was like sunset on whitefish lake Aww. surfing i was like you guys know we're in a simulation right <laughs> <laughs> this is too good <laughs> right you have those moments and those are those precious moments which make life worth living mm. right you get you get to savor where you understand okay this is sweet this is why i love being alive and i get to feel pain when it happens i even indulge in in, in the feeling of pain like the heartbreak or whatever um, it's not fun in the moment, but at the same time, like you said, you're alive. So it's a part of this human experience. Mm-hmm. 
and, and, and if you lean into it, then you will have less suffering than if you resist it because it's going to happen no matter what. You can't run from it. Mm-mm. And I'm not sure where this um, resisting pain came from so much. Like who told us it must have been taught um, society sure. like Western medicine for sure. Yeah. Like, Oh no, no, don't, don't feel that. And even feel emotion. Like, you know, I think men are often taught as, I mean, especially men. Um, well, you can't cry. You can't feel anything. So you have all of a sudden now, all of a sudden men are suddenly expected to be emotionally intelligent. Well, they were never taught how to, mm-hmm. you know, not that women are, but you know what I mean? I just really, I just think, we need to approach things in a different way and start feeling and it's okay. Mm, I agree. So what we have here is everyone gets injured, especially athletes. It is a long road more mentally and emotionally than physically. Um, especially when we're told not to process it mentally or emotionally to mask it. You can get through it. You can adapt. You can find new physical modalities. Um, you can daily practice your way through it. You can um, offset it with meditation and gratitude practices of, hey, at least I get to feel this. At least I can recover from this. At least blah, 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 blah. Um, but really what we came down to is like when you get injured, do not let somebody else download new programs into your head about what your life looks like now because everybody from birth all we're doing is downloading information from the world around us and then forming our own beliefs most of us are super influenceable with those beliefs so if you're at some doctor or some whoever and they're telling you this is what your life is now that would be the number one thing i would tell you to approach with caution because that might be what your life looks like for a little bit, but over the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever you've got left, like for that, for somebody to say, this is the new book that you've been handed. Mm -hmm. Fucking absurd. Just move. Movement is medicine. Um, But more importantly, movement isn't linear. You're not just a yogi. You're not just a bodybuilder or a snowboarder or whatever. Like that's just the movement you've gotten to know and love. And you can move your body in hundreds of different ways. Shit. If you were a quad and all you had was blinking your eyes, talking and maybe moving your fingertips, like I'm sure there's a lot you could do if that's all you could do. Right. You just, we get set in these linear ideas of what movement looks like. And I think my favorite thing that you said, aside from feel everything, resist nothing, was, and it was before we were on the mics, we weren't meant to be sedentary and safe. Yes, that is true. We weren't. We were, uh, and now we have all those comforts. We've built a world around it because we don't, we, we don't want to die, right? I mean, we had a lot more things that could have harmed us. Mm-hmm. Um, so now our fight or flight goes kicks in when we're at work and we're working on a computer and we have a deadline and we're not moving our bodies. And yet our adrenals don't know what to do with that. So we it causes health issues. Mm-hmm. But because we're not moving, we're yeah. not really under threat of, of, you know, being harmed. But it feels like it. our body doesn't know the difference. Brain doesn't know the difference. 
So that's why it's important, I believe, to get uncomfortable, to get out there, to, to do physical things that aren't comfortable, whatever. You can do this in the gym. Like you were saying, training muscles isn't comfortable. Um, but I particularly love rock climbing for that reason alone is because it really sometimes feels like you're going to die. Mm-hmm. You're not going to. Sometimes you are in some serious situations where, yeah, if you don't know what you're doing, you certainly could die. Um, but I like that because it puts me in a natural state. Yeah. You know, and my body feels good when I'm done. When I complete that task, when I'm through the suffering, wow, there's no better euphoria. I mm-hmm. mean, I think that's like runners who, um, or marathon lovers, that's that suffer fest that they crave because we were meant to do that. Mm-hmm. And you grow from it. Yeah, even hucking backies in the backcountry off of cliffs. Yeah. You're oh, upside down there there you for a while. Woo! You're like, I could die here. Yes, absolutely. And then when you land, you're like, I didn't fucking die. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, I just, I didn't process this concept of you've done such a good job in today's day and age of canceling out all of the danger, all of the fight or flight, all the everything. So now the only stress that you can feel is a deadline or Mm -hmm. an email where your boss might be upset with you. And so now you go into this triggered state of fight or flight that you should not be in at all. But most of the time when we're in fight or flight, we're either fighting meaning we're swinging and yep. moving, trying to fucking save our lives, or we're in flight, which means we are hightailing it out of there, which still means your legs are pumping, your arms are pumping, your body is shut down, all of the um, normal systems like digestion and all that to focus on save the life. So now we get this trigger, but you're stuck at your desk, yeah. and you can't run or fight. But I think at least you should get up and do some like high knees or push-ups Something. or... Because your body's trying to course adrenaline and you're just sitting like a statue. That's got to be terrible for your fucking internal systems. Yeah, not great. And and even like, um, I wonder that with gaming. I'm I'm not against gaming or anything. Um, I think there's a time and place for it. It's not my thing, but people love it. And I know there's community around it and and all that. It's great. But um, I think you can get in that fight or flight state while you're literally fighting fighting your person or your beast or whatever you're doing. Not even fighting. Like (laughs) this literally happened like over the weekend. Last weekend, the kids weren't home. We didn't have them back yet. It was a Saturday or a Sunday or something. All my shit was done. And so I like playing racing video games. Oh, nice. And so I was like playing this racing game and it's one where there's like cops that chase you and stuff. (laughs) And so I like was in this intense cop chase and I like get done and I put the video game away and Kelly and I were going to go to lunch or something. And I like walk into the bathroom and I was sweating. Yeah. And she's like, what the fuck were you just doing? I was like, I was in a cop chase, dude. (laughs) But really I was sitting on my couch. Yeah. And I think a lot of those kids when they're playing, it's well, not only kids, everyone's playing it now. It, you know, you're really in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and your nervous system is perceiving a real threat, mm-hmm. and there isn't one. <laughs> and then we just sit on the couch and then start eating pizza instead of yeah. going and coursing that adrenaline. Yeah, you should just go for a run afterwards or whatever it is you yeah. do. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I, but like I know that. you move enough to handle that. But Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> but still, she was just like, she was like, were you outside or something? I was like, nah, dude, I was in a cop chase. <laughs> She's like, you're a nerd, dude. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So to wrap it up here, we have some beautiful takeaways. Really, more than anything, I think it's just the catharsis of knowing other people go through this shit. Yeah. Um, but the one question that I always ask people as we wrap up a show is, what does being a healthy, wealthy person mean to you? I think it means finding your passions and pursuing them, whatever that takes, dedicating um, your life to exploring passions and being mm. open to new ones. Um, because I feel like that's your soul's purpose when you find something that, you know, for your passion, right? That's your soul speaking. So what are we here to do? Other than follow that, follow the dopamine, the good kind. Yes, I love following the dopamine. <laughs> That's a cue. So that can simply mean, um, you know, with with your work and your passion, what makes you happy? Or not only happy, I'm not a huge fan of happy because that's a temporary state, mm. but passions are something that are something you, you hold on to. Fulfilled. Yeah, fulfilled, yeah. So whatever makes you feel fulfilled seek that and you'll be healthy, wealthy, no matter what you do. And usually in my experience, when you seek those things, you're supported because that's your soul's purpose. And you're, you are here, even though it's, it's a quite, quite a deceptive, uh, simulation, right? It makes you think that you're not supported. But in my experience, when you follow the dopamine, when you follow your passions, you'll be supported and you'll attract more of that. So being healthy and wealthy is being fulfilled and brave <laughs> and courageous to try try for those things. I like it. I think you're the first person who has said that wealth is fulfillment, and I love that. So thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I want, I want the nice things too, but that comes with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that stuff follows when you, when you follow the basic – the basic uh, thing that I think advice to anyone is to follow those things because you will be supported. I swear. You know, I mean, you know that there's a reason that we pay football and basketball players millions and millions and millions of dollars to catch a ball or yep. throw a ball into a little hoop. It's because the sheer impressiveness of them pursuing their passion to that level we're willing to pay them more than we pay anyone else to yeah, do anything else. Exactly. And all they're doing is following their passion, mm -hmm. right? So, um, yeah, the everything, the community, the money, the everything will fall in place. And it's not going to be like easy, right? You got to push on doors and try stuff because often a door that you think is going to be the one isn't the one, but mm -hmm. you try and open it and then another one might open. But and it's never cut and dry and you're going to be put through the test. But the cue, the the uh, um, hint from your soul is that which makes you passionate, that which fulfills you. That which drops the dopamine. There you go. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for joining us on another episode. Loon, thank you for jumping in and talking to us about your journey, not through only yoga, but through the injury that maybe took you out of it for a little while. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, John. Absolutely. All right, y'all. We'll see you right back here in a couple of weeks for another episode of the Healthy Wealthy People podcast. All right, y'all. 
We have reached the inevitable end of today's episode, but before we go our separate ways, I just want to take a quick minute to say fucking thank you. Thank you for investing your listening time with me when there are literally millions of other artists whose content you could be consuming. Your support and feedback mean more to me than you will ever realize, which is why I'm going to ask you for one favor before we wrap this thing up. Please, if you have found any value in the show at all, there are three things you can do to help us grow. One, follow and or subscribe so you never miss another episode. Two, rate the show so other listeners can see just how goddamn good our content is. And three, take a screenshot of this episode, share it with your followers, and tag me at John Divine Inc. so that they have the same opportunities and access to information that you do. Now, get out there and enjoy the pursuit of the healthiest, wealthiest, most authentic version of yourself, and I'll see you right back here in two weeks for another episode of the Healthy Wealthy People Podcast. Peace!